This is your host, Josh Sharp, and welcome to New Hope's Cutting Room Floor Podcast, where we get a chance to talk about what didn't make it into the sermon this week and what our speaker would have liked more time to engage with. We'll also go over some questions that you might have had and generally just have a good time talking about what was on our speaker's mind. Today we're here with Mike and Denise to talk about the sermon, Does God Have a Political Party? from the current sermon series, 10 Questions, Exploring Barriers to Our Faith. Mike, great to have you here today, man. Long, long time listener, first time caller. Is that where we're at on this? <laughs> this is uh, this is long time listener, first time ever on a podcast. Oh, wow. So this Whoa. is not my medium here. I don't know what's going to happen. This yeah. could be a big fail, Josh. You've you've taken a huge gamble. It's just a putting conversation. Me on a I've never That's seen why you I have fail editors at a conversation, for. Mike. So should be fun. That'll be left up to Mark in the end. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Right. It's yes. all on you, Mark. It, yeah, Mark. You can just edit out ninety percent of what I say. This will be a ten-minute podcast. Here we go. Denise, good to have you Thank back. You. Is Thanks. it nice being like you know we're not online having the conversation like we were last time? Oh this is yeah, this is better in person. Always better in person. Thanks for joining me for this one, Denise. Yeah, really you're appreciate it that you're here. Thanks. This is actually, we get to do two in a row. Yeah. Because next week we'll be doing it together oh, as awesome. well. So awesome. this is just kind of our, a practice session. Yeah. And Denise, you're preaching on. Does a loving God, how can a loving God send people to hell? All right. That's what you so all have to look light forward topic, to. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I need Mike's help uh, next week. Get our awesome. theological brains on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, so for our listeners, we're not going to talk much about the sermon today. If you haven't listened to the sermon yet, feel free to double back and listen to it on the channel New Hope PDX and give that a listen first because chances are you won't totally understand everything moving forward as this is the cutting room floor. That said, Mike, if you could refresh our memories as to what you talked about this last weekend uh, to the sermon. Yeah, sure. So the question um, within our series for this particular Sunday was, does God have a political party? And the the answer, which I finally got to toward the end, was no. There's there, God does not have a political party. My goal throughout the whole thing was just to point people toward Jesus. Let their attention be on Jesus because our hearts are drawn into politics so much. Mm-hmm. And you think about the state of our nation right now, really tense right now, but even, you know, in the last decade and longer, it's just like increasingly politics are consuming our minds, our hearts and our souls. And Mm. so how do we move away from that? Mm -hmm. Not to disassociate ourselves from politics or try and think that we can not be a part of it, but uh, how do we still have our hearts and our minds fully on Jesus while interacting with politics? Um, So I talked about politics in four different ways. Politics as idolatry, politics as witness, politics as formation, and then politics and unity. And I tried to have the main point throughout that uh, the political systems of this world are insufficient means and ends um, for the kingdom of God, Um, which I think is a statement that people would probably agree with yes, the kingdom of God is greater than the kingdoms of this world. And yet the reality is that uh, for many of us, all of us on different levels, we get drawn into it, sucked into it so much. We believe something but act very differently in in accordance with that at times. Boy, how is that for so much of our lives, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) We hold a certain belief in our head, but our true beliefs Mm -hmm. are revealed 
by the way that we live our lives. And yeah. so often we are just sucked into the, the political thing there. And then ultimately, yes, it was just about the gospel. I just wanted people to see how great the gospel is and it's much bigger than... Yeah. And I, I think Mike, you know, you said you hope, hopefully most people see the gospel as above, you know, that political plane, but in, in my experience, I think in the last several decades, they've become so enmeshed the gospel with patriotism in America that, that we are struggling to separate the two again Mm -hmm. and the importance of, of the fact that they're not one and the same. Right. Yeah. That I think is, that's such a key point. And, you know, maybe we can talk about that a little bit more because I didn't, yeah. <laughs> I didn't address that very much, but you're right. They have just become so intertwined, intertwined. Yeah. Exactly. And it's really hard then. And there's a history to that. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the reading that I did in prepare in preparation for this and, you know, just in recent years as well, you know, the, the, the bringing together of a, particular voting block, the Christian voting block in America, with a different ideology that's political, wedding them, and now they are faithfully married, it seems like, for so many years <laughs> that, you, you know, one becomes like the other. Yeah. And I, so, you know. And are you recommending a divorce? I usually don't, but... <laughs> in this case? In this case, it might. <laughs> so. I remember... Uh, listening to one documentary, um, uh, I think it was one about the 90s on Netflix, um, and I won't get like too detailed about it because obviously some of it could still be fairly opinionated, but they talked about the game plan of getting one president into office, and the game plan wasn't for, they, they knew like Republicans would essentially vote for this person, um, but getting the Republicans to the voting booth was the actual problem, so they had to kind of get a big enough uh, igniter behind that, and then they did. How interesting. Yeah, that word igniter is just interesting, (laughs) and that makes me think of Colossians Way and some of the things we learned in there about the way we are being ignited on certain topics. Anyway, we totally derailed. uh, (laughs) Well, no, it's uh, that I uh, will probably talk about this in a little bit, but that just totally made me think of this book that I'm reading right now. And I'm only about halfway through it, uh, but it's called Propaganda, Mm -hmm. written by a French philosopher, Jacques Ellul. And it was written in like 1960. But I'm telling you, it is that, you know, it it is so much about uh, how. Um, governments or authorities uh, aren't as concerned about public opinion, but they also need public opinion. And Mm -hmm. so the way that they can steer public opinion to the point of agreeing with what they want to happen with the perception that it's the public opinion that's driving the conversation and making those things happen. So that's very much what you were just. Yeah. So you're saying we're being played. We're all being played. (laughs) Well, (laughs) well, I think it leaves one part of his argument is that we, in some sense, we almost want it or need Mm. it. And, and so we're just as culpable. Interesting. Wow. That's, Mm. that's an interesting step on Mm -hmm. that. We'll talk about our conspiracy theories later. So, uh, picking that up, Mike, uh, you were, uh, I think you were on the fourth, the, f- was it the fourth part of your sermon before we totally derailed that? Well, I was just, yeah. Gospel as unity. Yes. And yeah. that ultimately, uh, 
The other three aspects were driven by the passage, which was John 18, Jesus before Pontius Pilate, and there, you know, there were aspects of that passage that, that really led into, for me, like the aspect of idolatry and formation and witness, but not the unity. And so, but I felt like the unity was so critical in talking about politics within the church. So, the, it, but it was easy to address by just going right before when Jesus was um, before Pilate, before, right before he was arrested, he was praying the high priestly prayer, the last part of the upper room discourse in the Gospel of John, and he's sitting there just praying, may, may all, of the fol- all of my followers, not just these disciples, but mm-hmm. everyone who will ever believe yeah. because of their message, may they all have such perfect unity that the world knows, Father, that you sent me. Whoops. I don't know if we, <laughs> yeah, we struggle with that one, the unity yeah. aspect. Yeah. Makes me glad Jesus prayed that. We have been prayed for, and I'm sure Jesus is continuing that prayer. Yeah. You know, that his followers will come to that place of unity. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know if there's anything else to really just say about it. That was the, the, that was the heart of it. Move people's attention toward Jesus and help to see uh, how politics becomes idolatry, informs us, and kills our witness mm-hmm. um, at, at the same time. Yeah. It was really well done, Mike. Thank you. Thanks, it was Denise. informative and, and really did help us walk out of here, not committed to uh, further political issues, but back to being committed to Jesus as above that. Involved, as you said, but, but keeping the priority as the faith in Jesus. Yeah, that's, um, I appreciate the positive feedback there. I'm so curious for people who maybe were more offended by it or didn't appreciate what was said. I hope that those people would come talk to me. Sure. You know, I'm, I'm willing to have the conversation and just, if you're listening out there, don't just walk away. <laughs> yeah. Come talk to me. Let's talk about come it. Talk if, to I, Mike. if I upset yes. you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in fact, we're probably going to get into a little bit about that as well here shortly. Um, we're going to talk a little bit, uh, this is going to go in and out of the conversation. I know it came up in the sermon a little bit, the Colossian way. Um, Denise, you have some information on that. I want to make sure our listeners have a very good understanding going into this of what that looks like. I got to read through the book this last week, so I got a much better idea. So anyway, if you could help out our listeners in that aspect. Yeah. I think, you know, we became interested in the Colossian way when, I read an article in the Wall Street Journal that talked about it, and it sounded fascinating. It was really developed because churches were splitting apart, and so were families. And so mm-hmm. uh, this organization, I don't think they were an organization. These professors and, and pastors came together and developed this material to help people willingly walk into conversations that are usually conflictual and learn how to to do it in a Christ-honoring, brother and sister-honoring way, not to shy away from topics and certainly not to get everybody to agree on the topics, but learn how to be able to voice our opinions, listen to other people, and come out stronger at the end of that time. So it's it's developed as a uh, 10-week small group experience. They recommend 12 people in a group. We actually had 13 for our first group. Baker's dozen. (laughs) There you go. I like that. The generosity of that. 
So we had 13 people that met every week for 10 weeks, and I'm so appreciative. And if you're listening out there today, we're just still so appreciative of those 13 people who said, yes, I will step mm-hmm. into this, even in the uncomfortableness of it, and and walked it all the way through. Just now, for our listeners, can you give me an example of some of the weeks and kind of what went on, uh, anything sure. that pops out? You know, I and Mike just jump in. I think the material why it's so good is because for the first three weeks, they really kind of it's like riding a bicycle with training wheels on. They're gonna introduce some topics and introduce ways to walk through it in very safe ways. It, it builds trust in the group. It gives you a little bit of uh, room to to express yourself, but not a lot. But by halfway through then they're kind of taking the training wheels off is how I described it. And they're, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> I think a couple of the, the tougher sessions had to do with when the, the material actually asked us to divide up in the room, self-identify if you lean either more liberal or more conservative. Another yeah. time is if you lean... And you couldn't be in the middle. That was so tough. That's right, Mike. You couldn't be in the middle. You had to choose. And that was excruciating for, you know, two pastors who like to keep people happy and please people. It was like, <laughs> oh, man. But we did it, you know. So we, we chose. And I think that was... I'm just to be honest, that was a hard moment. Uh, so, so, and then the other time was dividing up between... You had to lean Democrat or Republican. So there was, I I was going to say, I do remember, remember the first session. So there was like the first four, it was very gradual, but I feel like they first, they kind of started off with a little bit of tension. Then they eased us in a little more before the real tension came. But the first one, we start talking about gun control. Very first night, everyone's just getting to know each other. and <laughs> Great get to know you. Yeah, right. Let's now. talk about what gun control. And, about gun control? <laughs> and l- let me tell you, that group was, on most issues, I feel like pretty split 50-50. Yeah. And, and some people were you know, maybe more moderate and you know didn't have stronger mm-hmm. opinions on everything. And then there were always people on either, in any discussion on either end, that did have opinions. And I remember yeah. that first night, somebody saying after the discussion, I'm, I was having a visceral reaction to that, you know, like hmm. it just, it makes people feel the feels yeah. uh, to start Heart talking rate about increasing, the, yeah. <laughs> sweaty palms and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's great. Uh, that's, that's a great, um, a class that we do essentially that is coming up in the fall. It is All September. Right. Be watching. We're going, we're actually going to hopefully have two groups okay. uh, this fall. So possibly 24 openings yep. or yes. 26, depending on how we do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they aren't, you know, like like we said, there's tension in it. They aren't all easy conversations. There's, there are aspects to it that are uncomfortable. But the result of it, after going through the full 10 weeks, I think, is a, a better sense of empathy for people who think differently than yes. you better sense of understanding why people think the things that they do, um, a better sense of having a relationship with somebody who thinks differently makes an impact on the way that you feel toward people who think differently. So I think the results were all really good. I think we were, by the end, everyone seemed to really care about each other yes. a lot. There was laughter. Good. Um, and the sense of, Hey, we got through this. Yes. Yeah. So 
it it was it was worthwhile to go through the uncomfortable aspects of it in order to reach the end. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think one of the ways that Colossian Way material helps us do that is by, I think on the second week is when it started, uh, every week somebody had seven minutes to share their story. Uh, and one, they could pick from four topics, but a lot of us talked about how our own political views had been formed. You know, what, what back in childhood, what were your parents, you know, were they Democrat or Republican? And, and as we heard those stories, I think that was a very significant moment in, in breaking down some barriers and some walls going, oh my word, that's how, of course your political view is formed by that experience. Mm -hmm. And so I think I walked away, I don't know about you, Mike, just, uh, with a a greater willingness and a more sacred sense of listening underneath the surface to people's stories or, or what there's what they're saying and knowing okay there's a story here underneath these words yeah. and so a little bit more able to uh, walk in their shoes yes in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and and, and if I can't at that moment to know that it would be beneficial if I could, yeah. if I could listen deeper. And I think one of the, what's one of the, I think you mentioned this on Sunday, one of the core things that they teach us is to stay curious yeah. rather than go immediately to defense. Yes. That right there That's is, come up on this podcast a lot too. Oh, has Such it? a okay. big, you know, if we can maintain that sense of curiosity rather than assumption, because that seems to be the alternative. I'm going to assume what you think, what you feel, and why, rather than being curious and going, well, why, yeah, I was trying to think of something funny to say to Josh, (laughs) and it didn't come. (laughs) 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 Yeah, but I think also with that, uh, you know, there's a sense of, um, you know, uh, here, now I'm going to understand you better. But I think a huge part of that is now I'm going to understand myself better mm. because I don't, as a result of that, I don't now think uh, that the things that I think mm-hmm. are right because I'm so brilliant. What? <laughs> <laughs> but because I come from a certain context. Yeah. Right. I think the things that I think because of the context, all of us are so formed by the context that we came from and that we live in. um, We can't escape that. Mm -mm. We can't be objective. We can't be completely outside of our context and saying, I can now evaluate all truth. We can't. Mm -mm. And so being able to hear like, oh, this is what shaped and informed you. And then for me to think through, oh, this is what shaped and informed me. There's this, um, I want to read this quote, uh, if I can. This is from Caitlin Shess. This is her book, uh, The Liturgy of Politics. I didn't quote it at all in the sermon, but I read it in preparation. So this is uh, from her book. We might think that we make political decisions based on propositional information but we are overwhelmingly motivated by our loves and our loyalties. What have we been taught to love, value, and respect? What ideas, people, or institutions have we been taught to be loyal to? When we watch a campaign ad or a newscast, the combination of images and sounds combine to provoke emotional, sometimes visceral responses from us. 
We don't just take in information about immigration or healthcare. We learn who or what to fear or love. Mm. We are trained in these emotional responses by the rituals in which we participate. So that's some aspect of the context, right, that really actually informs what we think and why we think it. All right. I like that. Okay. So with, with that, you kind of got us started down that road a little bit, Mike. Um, what hit the cutting room floor from your sermon this last week? I know there was something I couldn't get to, unfortunately, for you, which was like a golden elephant or golden donkey on the stage. Both of them, actually. But <laughs> I was going to find golden balloons and just have them floating there. But yeah. yeah there was an idea out there, yes, of... Uh, do we, should we have a golden donkey and a golden elephant up on the stage during the sermon? And maybe that, maybe it would have been too much. I don't know. Maybe it's a good thing that we didn't (laughs) figure out the details there. (laughs) It would have entertained me. (laughs) I mean, maybe it would have hit home for somebody. This is often what we do. You know, these idols of ours become the means for provision and protection and power much more than God himself providing provision and protection and mm-hmm. us relying on his power, mm-hmm. not him providing power for us. Um, we, I think, definitely worship at the altar of a golden donkey or a golden elephant often. Um, but, and I think John has said this before in previous sermons, we aren't to worship a donkey or an elephant, we are to worship a lamb. He's quoting somebody, yeah. and I can't remember where that comes from. He told me once where it came from, but you know, there's that there's that sense of you know, it's a misplaced attention mm-hmm. and, and hope that we have, you know, in these political realities. Yeah. So, well, probably best that we didn't actually have <laughs> golden statues on the stage. Mm-hmm. Might have been taken out of context for some. <laughs> Don't know. Like I said, I would have yeah. found it entertaining, but. <laughs> Yeah, but there were other, it's hard to pinpoint, I feel like there was, I read several books in preparation, articles, and listened to a lot of things in preparation for the sermon, so there are bits and pieces everywhere that didn't quite uh, didn't quite make it in. I mean, there's also really the big question of current events, you know, mm. how much do you mention very current events like Roe v. Wade, yeah. um, you know, just within the last couple of weeks, and then a couple of months, you know, there was a leak, and then the official overturning of Roe v. V. Wade, and that's a, I mean, it's obviously, unless you're living in a cave, that's a yeah. big deal right yeah. now. It yeah. is. And so, yeah. does that get mentioned or not, and how does that mm-hmm. get addressed? Mm-hmm. Um, that seems like such a tender topic, Mike. I think um, one of, the th- one of the things I was going to say about Colossian Way is that it is one of the things that makes it so powerful is that you're sitting in a room face-to-face, person-to-person with people. It's not uh, being on Twitter or Facebook. Facebook posts and memes. It's so impersonal or, or yeah. forwarding on those famous emails. It's having mm. to, to be responsible for what you're going to say and, and being able to receive back what somebody else in that moment says as well. And I think a topic like Roe versus Wade is so personal and it's so complicated mm-hmm. that, I, yeah, I think I would encourage that we, that we participate in those 
carefully and and know how personal it is. I'd and rather sit not participate with some, with, on them on the internet. C- exactly. I, I think that's fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or to do so with great care. Uh, no victory laps would be appreciated and and wise right now. I think. Um, and I'm not speaking for or against. I'm just saying, you know, let it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's better to have those face to face with people with great care and and with an ear to listen and to be curious and to know what is behind that story's that person's story and that person's passion. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's really wise. I mean, because obviously if you are watching the news, if you're reading the news, if you're on social media at all right now, the conversation is explosive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And those, I think it's so wise what you're saying, Denise, those are personal conversations. Those are things that you have one-on-one with people or within a small group to be able to talk about them. So like for me, just to project that out onto everybody exactly. on a Sunday morning, that's not the right venue to talk about something that is so explosive. Yeah. Like and so here. painful. I mean, it's not just, it's not just one of those head topics. Yeah. This is a heart topic. This is, you know, lives have been, uh, there's just so much pain around that topic mm-hmm. from, from both ways. And I, while I know this is a very divisive uh, topic, it, I'm, I'm, I'm witnessing just a lot of, I, I don't know what the term is, but, not making assumptions right now of who's had an abortion, who hasn't, who's alive today because their parent didn't abort or, Mm -hmm. or who it's just complicated. And it's, I don't know what a better word to use than just that it's so personal and it is so painful. And those are always conversations better had face to face uh, with care and concern. I mean, think of Jesus, think of, you know, the woman caught in adultery thrown on the ground in front of him and think of how he he cared for her in that moment very personally and sent all of her exploiters away you mm. know so i think looking that's great. like jesus i thought you were going to say accusers but exploiters is such a that's exactly key what word they were there. doing yeah. they were exploiting her yeah. and the situation i think that you know any i i'm pretty sure i have felt this with every single sermon i've ever preached that I can't possibly capture all the nuance Mm -hmm. of the topic and how it affects everybody in the room. Even when I'm talking about just kind of the most beautiful, wonderful, basic things of our (laughs) faith. Agreed. So then when you get into something that is... Does this feel like the extreme version of that? (laughs) Right, yeah. This is like the incredibly complicated, Mm -hmm. like you're saying. And so there are so many variations to the conversation and what people, how people receive it, what their experience is, what their context is for how they, you know, why they think the things that they think. There's no way to be able to do that well uh, and capture all those different nuances. So yeah, then that's where personal conversation, dialogue where there's back and forth is and a where good we venue. need to make that a safe thing, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that Colossian way did help that it, it, it creates a safe environment to go ahead and be brave enough to say what your convictions are. This is not, we're not, 
I want to make that clear. Colossian Way doesn't put the lid on anybody's convictions. It mm-hmm. helps people be brave enough to say, this is how this, or to at least think through, this is how this was formed in me. Mm-hmm. And to listen to how other people have been formed. So, uh, and to create safe spaces. And I, I would love it if we were a church that created those type of, of situations for people, that they can say what they think and what they believe recognizing at the same time, it may not be perfectly formed. We may be wrong, you know, and I love Mm -hmm. that about John. He often says from the pulpit, Hey, I might be wrong, you know, (laughs) and for us to step back and go, Oh, okay. It, you know, that's really okay. I, I can share what, where I'm at and my formation and what I currently think, but I can also take a humble attitude and know that God may change that. God may reform that, grow something in me that uh, needs to be reshaped and reformed. Mm-hmm. And it's also, I think it's important to not neglect those conversations yes. either, right? So the other option is like, okay, well, let's not say it from the front on a Sunday morning. And let's also not talk amongst ourselves either, because that's a way to keep unity Really, that's the way to keep peace. That's not true peace. That's not true unity. That's just avoiding something and, you know, just making sure you show up on Sunday and not have any real relationships with people. Exactly. But that's where, you know, the conversations need to happen. We don't want to avoid them in any way. We want them to happen in the right context, but that requires some courage and it requires some curiosity, some initiative, uh, and a lot of grace and love, you know, to make that what you had said, Denise, a safe place. Yeah. Like where's the safe place to be able to have that, have that conversation. I think if we can create those safe places amongst us, we need to move forward into those conversations. Uh, not assuming like one that everyone who's coming to church believes the same things, Mm-mm. thinks the same things that I believe. Um, but two, to actually, shape and form ourselves as well. Where can I be challenged? Right, right. Where, where? It's like Proverbs says, iron verse, or iron sharpens iron. Yeah. Right? Yeah. In those conversations, though, uh, you probably don't want to bring iron weapons <laughs> of any kind. All right, Just, all right. <laughs> I'll yeah, leave mine yeah. home next time. There should be some other rules for Colossian Way. Yeah, there are a few other rules, <laughs> but that's one of the big ones. Uh, leave your weapons at home. Yeah. I mean, there were, uh, yeah, going back to your question, though, Josh, you know, what else was left on the on the cutting room floor? I think that there were um, there were a lot of thoughts about how, uh, I guess, going back to why we think the way that we think that I couldn't get to. And, and that, again, just kind of goes to the context. There are so many things that inform us and shape us. And I talked about that a little bit, but when you, to get into it in the political realm specifically, not, uh, not only for Christianity in America generally, um, or at least, you know, for streams of Christianity that are like ours, the, you know, it, 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 it happens corporately, and then it also happens individually. So there's this whole context that informs the things that we think and the things that we believe, the, thing, the ways that we act politically. And for me, it was honestly, it was helpful in the Colossian way to go through that, uh, that process of evaluating 
why, uh, what are the things that have shaped me politically? So in that I shared that I grew up in a home that was incredibly left-leaning liberal, like as far to the left as you could go. Uh, well, I guess however far you can imagine it to the left, <laughs> that plus some. Okay, wow. I mean, it was out there. Um, and then in my mid-20s, uh, when I became a Christian, I, uh, I saw Jesus as king. My life just changed dramatically. Um, and I'm so grateful. I was a truck driver at the time, and I was driving all around central, southern, and eastern Oregon. And as I would, as I would drive, I would find the Christian stations wherever I was going in all these little rural towns and everything. And so I was just listening to sermon after sermon or program after program on these, on these Christian stations. And I'm so grateful for them because they really did uh, help to shape my faith mm. uh, and uh, my knowledge of the scripture and of Jesus in these, you know, in this first year of me knowing who Jesus is as king. But at the same time, I recognize that all of it came from a very right-leaning political perspective. Mm -hmm. And so that really shaped me during that time as well. I went from, I was pretty, uh, I've always been pretty moderate, but grew up in a very left-leaning house to now having all of this for the first time in my life. Uh, conservative perspective. Talk about the pendulum swinging. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. it totally did swing. Um, and then, you know, through other circumstances, I began to think more and and be shaped more in who I am. And you know, I uh, I think I'm, you know, I'm I'm pretty moderate person. Just to put it out there for everybody. <laughs> but I could just see how I was formed and shaped by those voices. So what that means is for all of us, depending on what kind of environment we grew up in, um, whether it was a Christian home or not, was it conservative, liberal, all those things, they just inform the way that we think. And not just on an individual basis, but on a corporate basis as well. And that context, um, I don't know, unless you really give some thought to it, I don't know if we really understand how much the corporate aspect of it actually influences the way that we behave and the way that we think about things. Um, And now with social media, even more so, you know, you've got information out there. We're on information overload. Yes. Yeah. And that information is targeted and tailored toward us. We live in a bubble. Yeah. We live in an information bubble, you know, that is just insane. So anybody's abil- ability, like I said earlier, nobody can be objective and kind of step out and just see truth for what it is completely. Even more so on social media now. Uh, good luck. Good <laughs> luck <laughs> getting out of the, the bubble of, of, you know, uh, of, the, of our thoughts. Well, you know, Mike, it's, I just think that's really important for us to think about because I think we saw this in Colossian Way and it was it was helpful and, and eye-opening to me that both Christians on the left and Christians on the right think that their faith alone is what has uh, shaped and formed their political beliefs. Mm-hmm. And that people on the right think that people on the left could not possibly 
be following Christ and Mm. vice versa and coming face to face with wrestling that through. Okay. Mm -hmm. So maybe my, wow, you know, a liberal person can be Christian. How can that be? And recognizing about themselves and about everybody else in the room that there's more that goes into shaping us than we think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think this gets into an interesting conversation about where we hear a lot of voices, especially when we assume it's our faith that designed this. Most of the time we're pointing towards preachers when we say that. And people they're a bunch of jerks. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I all of us sitting here like, yeah, I've I have said some dumb things before, <laughs> and it's like, oh, please don't, please just ignore that. Yeah. Oh, it's immortalized yeah. on the internet, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's one of those things like looking back and looking back at other preachers and stuff that I've listened to and being like, oh yeah, I get where I got that idea from, and that person may not be right. They're pointing the Bible, they're using the Bible in the conversation, but they still may have misconstrued that, which gets into a much larger conversation. But I think it is interesting looking back because a lot of a lot of times when people are like, My faith, you know, formed how I believe. No, most likely it's it's a preacher or some religious authority that you're actually pointing to mm-hmm. and not um, the Bible, not Jesus in most of those cases. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I think you're so. right. Yeah, I think that is that is really true. I mean, I think that the, you look at the Protestant Reformation and there's kind of this value that came out of the Protestant Reformation that now everybody uh, can read the Bible for themselves, <laughs> yeah, right? You know, around this yeah. time frame, you know, you've got different um, uh, translations of the Bible that are coming out and the vernacular that people can understand. And you can read it for yourself. You can understand it for yourself. Um, and yet most of us though, you know, still are so heavily influenced by these authoritative voices that are there and they interpreted it. That have interpreted it. Yeah. It's, it's all based on someone's interpretation Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. and I'm sure the three of us could find points where we have different interpretations on, um, and still looking for the one thing of, yeah, Jesus is at the center of this. And, uh, yeah, but I think that's very interesting that 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 you guys saw that so well within Colossian way. Yeah. yeah. Something um, that you said, Denise also triggered this thought in me in terms of what was left on the cutting room floor was trying to explore a little bit more in detail, the dynamics of how, why someone or how someone views their faith within a Republican context and how someone views their faith mm-hmm. within a democratic context. Mm. Um, because there is this sense, uh, often, I mean, let's just say, you know, in America, it's pretty obvious Christianity generally, uh, and particularly white Christianity leans Republican, uh, by, uh, by a long shot. Evangelical. Evangelical. Sorry. Yeah, yes. Thank right, you for clarifying right, that. Main, yeah. Mainline Protestants would not lean that way. You're right. Yes. I'm sorry. That is okay. the evangelical is an important yeah. aspect of that, um, as well. So there's a sense of, well, how, wh- how can someone be a Democrat and a follower of Jesus? And what are the ideals that are being, uh, sought there? And the thing is, there's, you know, the, I, I've mentioned this briefly, but the details of it are that, you know, there's, there are, all of us kind of view politics for the most part in terms of justice. Um, some people don't like that term, but we are looking for what is just 
and what is right. But we emphasize different aspects of what is just and what is right. So a Republican and a Democrat, they're going to have very different ideas about what is just and what is right. But that's what they're seeking. And so people who are followers of Jesus are also emphasizing different aspects of their faith to kind of say, yes, this is just or this is right. And so obviously on the Republican, more conservative side of things, a hot button issue is going to be abortion. Um, and so there, you know, this is the Imago Day. This is a life that, had, and this is, you know, to extinguish that life is a great injustice. And then maybe on the Democratic, more liberal side, you've got people who are emphasizing we need to care for the poor. We need to care for those people who are in our society who are marginalized and don't have the resources. Uh, you know, that is the way that they are treated right now or the lack of resources that they have is an injustice. That's wrong. Well, both of those things, mm-hmm. you can look to the Bible and say, yes, absolutely. Every life is the Imago Day. We do not want to throw away life at all. And this is a high value. And you cannot read the Bible without seeing that care for the poor is a huge value yeah. in the Bible. Yeah. So yeah. that right there, that is, that is an aspect of justice that needs to be addressed as well. Mm-hmm. And yet politically, and this is where a lot of Christians are saying, this is what I keep hearing and reading places, Christians are saying, I don't have a home politically because when you are thinking about it, you're trying to address, okay, how do I follow Jesus well and how does that inform my politics? Uh, neither, because the two sides have different values that, can, that are also biblical values, but they won't share those values mm. at all. You're yeah. like, well, I can't, yeah. what am I supposed to do? Just choose one of those and then ignore the other values? That doesn't sound right in following Jesus. How do I care for everybody made in the image of God in all aspects of their life, pre-birth, birth, in their poverty, in the needs that they have throughout their life? What are the ways that we just care for people holistically in their entire lives? And neither political party does that. Right. Well, right. Yeah. Right. They're divided. (laughs) They're not interested in that. (laughs) Oh, man. I got one other. Can I? Yeah, do it. What this, do you got? Is, this is one other quote that uh, I had left off from here. And this comes from Jacques Ellul. He's the uh, French philosopher that I mentioned earlier. So uh, John had said, said he had heard this quote. He's like, hey, check out this quote. This might help inform your sermon. So I looked at it and I was like, wow, that's a really great quote. I don't know who this Jacques Ellul is and <laughs> I don't know what context he's coming from. And, you know, I did a little initial research. And I'm like, I got to know about this guy more before I before you use it. Yeah. Share the quote more broadly. So I ordered a couple of his books. I'm about halfway through one of them right now. It's been really good, but he wrote a ton of books. So there's a lot to kind okay. of try and figure out and learn from him. But I do want to read this particular quote, uh, this is what I would have, or at least part of this is what I might have shared uh, in the sermon. 
So this is from his, he was a French philosopher, but he was also a follower of Jesus. He had had a really radical conversion at some point in his life. So this is from his book, The Presence of the Kingdom. Every time the church has gotten into the political game, no matter what the manner of her entry, no matter what her opinion or posing choices in a political situation with regard to an institution, she has been drawn every time into a betrayal, Mm. either of revealed truth or of the incarnate love. She has become involved every time in apostasy. And here's the initial quote that was passed on. Politics is the church's worst problem. It is her constant temptation, the occasion of her greatest disasters, the trap continually set for her by the prince of this world. Mm. Wow. So again, he's writing in like the 1960s when he's writing this, uh, but so far, That's strong. all that I'm... <laughs> yeah, and I think part of that is politics is always going to lead us down the path of power. Mm. Yes. And yeah. that's... That's not Jesus. It's it, not the way of the lamb. The provision, the protection, exactly. and the power of an idol. Exactly. That's what it ends up mm-hmm. leading us to. And so it's back to Elul. Yes, it is. Our It leads us to our greatest disasters. It's our constant mm. temptation and a continual trap for us. Oh, man. And yet, here's the other thing that was really left on the cutting room floor um, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be engaged in politics. Now, there are people, I went to seminary with a guy who had a really cogent argument for not voting, not being engaged mm. in politics mm. at all, that the moment you do anything like that, you are complicit with the evil of the government and politics and all this kind of stuff. He had a great argument, really sharp guy. <laughs> But that's not most people's view. The fact is, politics is the way that we relate to each other in society. And even though we are a part of the kingdom of God, we do live within the society because the kingdom of God is here and not yet. We're still waiting for the full consummation of it. And so in the meantime, here we are living in, right for us, Portland. Trying to make the best of it. Trying to make the... (laughs) Trying to make the best of it, but it is the reality that you know politics governs how society functions, and so it's normal for us to be engaged in politics. It's you know you look at this quote from Elul, and you're like, well, I just never want anything to do with politics at all. That's probably not realistic, and it's okay to be engaged in politics. Yes, I would not want yeah. every Christ follower to pull out of politics. Oh, man, what would happen then? Yeah. I kind of wonder. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if it would be better or worse. I'm just kidding. I think it would be worse. I think we are to be engaged in, because I like the Colossian Way uh, definition that politics is what governs our shared life together. And I, I want Christians to mm-hmm. have a voice in what our shared life should look like together. We live yeah. in a country where we all think differently. Uh, we come from different cultures, different belief systems. That's that's what our country is, that melting pot of people. And what does Christ say to that? How yeah. We, yeah. Yeah. And I think that that, uh, you know, that also kind of brings up the point that s- at least what I see or hear out there a lot 
from a non-Christian perspective in relation to politics is an anger that uh, Christians are imposing their beliefs and their way of life on the rest of the country. And there might be, there are ways to think about that where, you know, that could be a valid argument, but the truth is all of us go to the voting booth with our values. Right. We all have values. Yeah, you, you vote those. Every the person. Whatever ones prioritize the highest in right. the scheme. Exactly. Every <laughs> person goes and evaluate, you know, votes based on their values. And so many of our country's values actually are based in Christianity, whether or not we want to recognize that, or even if they've been twisted or changed a bit, the foundations, uh, are, are so heavily influenced in the West in general by Christianity. You can't get away from it. And John mentioned this before, and he referenced this book, Dominion. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, the name of the author is escaping me right now. But that book, Dominion, that really addresses that issue completely. Like Western civilization and the way we think about morality and a lot of the values we have have all been shaped by Jesus and our faith. Um, yeah, so we bring those values to, uh, to the voting booth. In fact, that makes me think of this quote here. Let me see if I can find it really quick. This is from, um, I think it's Tom Holland, Tom Holland, how the Christian revolution remade the world. That That's right. absolutely is who it is. Yeah, my phone. This is a quote here from Daniel Williams. Uh, He's the historian. I did quote him in the sermon, but this is a different quote. And he's kind of making the argument uh, as another thing that we couldn't really get into. There's so many things, you know, you you can only say so much, right? But there's uh, how then do you vote or interact with politics as a Christian? A big aspect of this, which I didn't even mention, that's huge is that you follow the, the teachings of Jesus, right? Which first and second commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Loving your neighbor as yourself, that's quoted in the Bible like nine, ten times. So that's pretty important. Yeah. It's Lifted a, up as the most important by Jesus himself. Yes, exactly. So Old Testament and then Jesus reaffirms that. Foundation of our yeah. faith. So when we go with our values to vote, because that's what we all do, a huge informing value for us mm-hmm. should be to love our neighbor as ourselves. So not just looking for our own provision, protection, and power, exactly. but how do we love other people well? And so this quote gets to that from Daniel Williams. Um, Instead, uh, we will ask questions such as these. What set of policies will produce the most good for my neighbor if good is defined by the set of standards and outcomes that God has given in the Bible? What set of policies might promote peace for all people and facilitate godly living? What set of policies will allow the gospel to go forth unimpeded and will potentially facilitate the positive reception of the gospel by equating Christianity in the public's mind with the principles of Jesus rather than with a flawed political ideology? What policies will protect the poor, the needy, and the defenseless from economic exploitation and will result in the protection of human life? 
If we ask these questions, our highest priority will not be aligning national law with Christian standards, a goal that can never be fully realized, but rather producing divinely ordained good outcomes for the people around us, people of all races and socioeconomic levels, all genders, all immigration statuses, all ages, including the unborn, and all manners of sin. These are good questions to ask when approaching the voting booth and how do our values inform our vote. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. So we've talked a lot about one of the problematic things. It's come up in several of our other podcasts as well for this series. Um, Fear (laughs) seems to be this uh, uh, almost boogeyman uh, behind every corner that we've talked about, this this driving force. What do you got in your mind, Mike? You're giving me that uh, just look. a boogeyman in fear. I just like, <laughs> yes, it is the boogeyman who causes fear. <laughs> it's it's this thing out there that um, seems to drive so many of our decisions, and yet I think so oftentimes when I have these conversations, they're like, "No, I'm not driven by fear," and I'm like, "Yeah, you you are." Like it's mm. it's clear in these areas. Um, and, and the problem of that, uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about, but we also talked about somewhat, uh, again, that's come up. I, I think, you know, God is the answer and, and love is, is a big part of the answer to a lot of these issues. But one of the key things that has come up a lot through this series as well as curiosity mm-hmm. um, to be one of those things, like when you're in that moment of fear to instead turn that into a curiosity. Mm. Um, so... One of the questions I have, especially around this, um, we take in all these different media sources. How how does fear become a driving force in our lives? Hmm. That is a profound question. How does fear become a driving force in our lives? I mean, the the first thing that really comes to my mind is that uh, fear is this natural response that we have. It's a very human response. Yeah, when I see a spider, I want to burn the building down. <laughs> <laughs> Note to self on how to prank Josh. Just call me. My son's also afraid of spiders. I had to learn how to deal with that. <laughs> Just note on that. Yesterday, uh, I had been working out in the garage, and for like half an hour, I just kept feeling this tickling on my neck. And then finally this giant spider jumped off of me onto the counter. I was like, Oh, that's what that was. (laughs) Mike, you have the craziest insect stories. (laughs) Yeah. I think, you know, when you look at the Bible, uh, it's kind of this popular thing to say. Many people have probably heard it that the, um, the command to not fear is said 365 times in the Bible, one time for each day of the year. I've never Mm -hmm. actually done the research to, you know, count myself and see, is that completely accurate? But it's nice to say, and it's got to be close. It's got to be close. 2% error mark. It's in there a lot for (laughs) sure. And old Testament and new Testament, um, uh, throughout. And I think that, you know, on one hand, we might uh, take that, and when we do experience fear in, for ourselves, maybe then we feel shame about it. Or if somebody else is feeling fear, there's a temptation to, you know, uh, to say, stop it. Like, um, 
what's that sketch from? Uh, oh, the Bob Newhart sketch. The Bob Newhart sketch. Oh my yes. gosh, it's one of my favorites. <laughs> the, yes, it wasn't Saturday Night Live. It was from uh, what was that other sketch comedy show? It, uh, Mad TV. It was from Mad TV. It was Mad TV. Oh man, I it was Mad. Saturday Night Live no, it was so Mad last. TV. Bob Newhart, and he was a psychologist who would. His one word of advice was always just stop it. Well, because yeah. he wasn't a psychologist, it. he just sat down, walked right. in the room, That's and people probably, started yeah. walking. In. <laughs> so yeah, when we see other people fear, you know, maybe we're tempted to say like, "That's wrong. You shouldn't be." I mean, the Bible says, "Don't fear." Mm-hmm. Well, the reason why the Bible says it so much is because it's just a natural part of our human behavior to experience fear. And part of that's really good. It protects us yeah. from bad things. That's why it's there, right? Keeps Fear. me alive from the spiders. Yes. <laughs> but life in Jesus uh, changes that for us, right? When we experience fear, which we will continue to experience, I'm sure, except for some weird people like that dude who climbed El Capitan with no ropes. What's hmm. that guy's name? Have you ever seen this? No. The Oh, there's a documentary called um oh well now i forgot it and that's going to be terrible this is really <laughs> embarrassing comment on that on a podcast but, yeah wait wait so just no no inhibitions right there just just go for it <laughs> this guy he climbed el capitan in yosemite without a rope you should watch the documentary oh it's amazing if only i could remember the name of it right now so i could tell all of you this is so embarrassing anyway probably look it up on el capitan though we all experience fear is the point, except for that guy. We all experience fear. He probably has other fears. He probably is afraid of spiders. <laughs> so in, in Jesus, though, we can take those fears to him continually. Like it says in 1 Peter 5, we can cast all of our yeah. cares upon him because he cares for us. We know that he has overcome the world. We know that he has the victory in this world. We know that he, like he said in the Sermon on the Mount, why are you concerned about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink? Don't you know that your father, he cares about you. He cares about, he knows about all the things that you need. You just need to seek first the kingdom of God and the rest of these things are going to be added to you. So the, you know, we'll continue to feel anxiety and fear, but it's a habit that you build up then of, okay, I'm feeling this fear. Why? Am I feeling this fear? What is it that I'm actually afraid of? All right, now let me talk to Jesus about that. And what are the words of scripture that remind me why I don't need to fear this thing? That I don't even need to fear the one who can destroy my life, but I only need to fear God alone. So what causes fear? I think a whole lot of things. Um, (laughs) Where do we need to take our fears though? Continually to Jesus. And know that it's it's reasonable to experience fear. I look at the state of our society, and I feel anxiousness about it. I'm like, <laughs> my goodness, what is going on? What are my kids going to experience? Yeah. yeah. Um, are they going to have kids? What are they going to experience? I don't know. Um, but why do you take those fears to Jesus? And I think, you know, tying into that, Mike, I think I love that it says it that many times in Scripture because we have a God who does not want us to experience fear. You guys are both fathers. If you look at you, that's one of the things I hate most when when I see my kids Mm. afraid. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the heart of God. He doesn't want us to, he doesn't like to see that in us either. And the other thing, just out of his compassion, but the other reason is because 
fear often leads us to do stupid things. Mm, mm -hmm. And so I think that's another reason we're told do not fear because it produces irrational and, and sometimes terrible things. I think that, and I had never thought about this being a fear, but somebody, Steve Robertson commented to me about a lot of Christians and he saw it in me too, that we're afraid of being wrong. Mm, You know, that mm. there's this, not, not that, not Mm -hmm. me personally, it's like, I'm not a, I have to be right all the time. It was, oh my word, what if I blow this? That kind of, oh no, what if God's upset with me because I don't get this right? What if I make the wrong decision? And that really helped me to step back and and go, okay, that's another fear. I can just hand over it. You know, God knows that my heart wants to discern correctly and rightly. I don't have to be afraid that I'm going to get it wrong. And I I, I think that's, I think Steve's right. A lot of Christians have that fear that we're going to. God's going to yeah. judge us because we got this one wrong. Or do you think, I mean, too, there's this, uh, that I don't want to get it wrong. And then if I have gotten it wrong, I don't want to admit it mm. because what does that look like publicly? Like sometimes is it just like Christians generally need to be able to say, yeah, you know what? We have not actually been thinking right about this particular topic and we're going to collectively repent and we're going to try and think differently about it. Mm-hmm. I think that's maybe a little far-fetched, but that's a hope <laughs> sometimes, right? right? Is that we could kind of go, oh yeah, we weren't right about that. Yeah. And that's okay. Yep. We're human. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 They shaped us and formed us in a way that we made a really stupid decision yeah. or came out on the wrong side at that moment. There's forgiveness for that, too. And uh, Mike, you and I were talking just a little bit this morning about Kerry Newhoff's uh, article that he just came out with yesterday on July 4th. And he's Canadian, but he talked about America yesterday and the tensions that, that the whole world is feeling feeling because of what's going on here in America. And his number one thing when he, he talked about uh, ways, what can we do as a church? And his number one thing was be a confessor in a culture of blame. And he mm. just talked that very thing mm. that you just brought up, Mike, that that's, don't be afraid to confess, you know, that to step back and to acknowledge when we're wrong or we've uh, been inappropriate in our, in our thinking or in our yeah. words. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's probably something that it's kind of like we are, we're supposed to be people of the truth, right? Uh, Jesus's words in that passage of John 18, we're supposed to be people of the truth that hear the voice of Jesus. And so the fear then is to admit, oh, well, what we did actually wasn't part of the truth. Um, We don't always, we aren't always so aligned with Jesus as we would like to be. That's the process of sanctification that we're constantly in, right? Being formed into the image of Jesus. I don't know about y'all. I personally have not been formed into the image of Jesus completely. I'm in the process right. of being formed. I've claimed to be pretty close. But, yeah. <laughs> but then Christine set you right, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> right, so in that process, I'm, I'm not of the truth, as Jesus was talking about completely. Hopefully there are times when I am, and because I am in that process mm-hmm. of being formed into the image of Jesus, but there are plenty of times when I'm not. And so we've got to get over that fear of being, uh, of admitting. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I was not thinking about that correctly. I'm going to change my mind. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Wow, a Christian changes their mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or anybody. I, I shouldn't. I'm not picking on Christians. I'm really not. But yeah, I think that's important to for anybody to be able to say, I didn't have that much information, or I I was influenced by a smaller group to think about that, and now I I I can see that I need to think more broadly on that, or more specifically listen to the words of Jesus in a different lens than I've listened perhaps before. Yeah. I mean, that's, that is repentance in the yeah. New Testament, Old Testament. It, it, you know, there's a different word, but in the New Testament in Greek, it's metanoia. You know, this is how this is, that is a literally a change of mind. I'm changing and I'm repenting and I'm turning to God. I'm changing the internal state of who I am even to think differently toward Jesus. Mm -hmm. And that's repentance. And uh, again, a daily act for us to do. (laughs) Not once and done? Not once and done, Denise. All right. So it's time to repent, okay? (laughs) (laughs) I'll see you in the confession booth after this. (laughs) So I think this brings us to a, a good concept here of what can we learn from from you guys? What can we learn maybe from the Colossian way um, uh, about uh, Mike? You brought up being uh, a witness. What what would be a good witness about how we as Christians deal with politics? Hmm. Hmm. I think that there. I mean, from the Colossian way specifically, there are two things that come to my mind, and we've already mentioned both of them. But just to kind of distill them down to this question here. The two aspects of witness that can come out of something like the Colossian way are that of, one, being willing to change your mind, and two, unity. So Colossian way is very explicit that there is no goal for anybody in that group to change anybody else's mind. We're trying to avoid that. It's not about convincing anybody. At the same time, I think that there's an underlying hope that as people are interacting with somebody who, you know, others who are different, that think differently, that it causes some self-reflection to be able to go, huh, okay, uh, well, maybe I don't have a corner on the truth, and maybe I can grow and develop as a result of this. And so uh, it kind of like... um, there was this book years ago uh, called um, The Hermeneutical Spiral. But mm-hmm. it's basically the sense of, you know, there's a, let's say, truth at the center of a spiral. And we just keep circling around it. And we, every bit of interaction, experience that we have, um, kind of brings us a little bit, it can at least, bring us a little bit closer. Um, so if we're willing to take that information in, and change the things that we already think. And we'll never get right down to that point, that center point of the spiral, at least not within this life. But if we're willing to, we can kind of circle in on it more if we're willing to be shaped and formed by other ideas and people. So mm-hmm. there's that aspect of uh, growth that comes from it. And then the other is the unity, the ability to have conversations that are difficult, that cause visceral reactions that are yeah. Uh, uncomfortable and they're, you know, they can't even be filled with tension then to get over the hump of it mm-hmm. and realize that you're actually closer to that other person than pr- 
prior to having that conversation. You go through the pain and the pain makes you closer. And then now you've got a stronger sense of actual unity in the church, even if you still disagree on any of the political and that's, topics. That's unity, not conformity. And yes. That's yes. part of the part of the issue that's there, right. I think, yeah. that comes up is going to a lot of these things we and this is great about Colossian Way, because otherwise we tend to go on these things of being like, I'm gonna get you on my side. I'm gonna convince you of my truth ultimately. Mm-hmm. And that's a conformity mindset. And this is unity. This means we can disagree and still walk out and go get lunch together and have a good time. Right. right. Yeah. That's a that's a great distinction. Unity versus conformity because you look at the first 12 disciples and there was not conformity right? in that Who group. What was Jesus thinking? That was <laughs> a very <laughs> diverse group of people yeah, in so there. It wasn't even great uniformity in the, the beginning. Like, no, yeah, they right. Were, they they argued. Yeah. But they stuck, they stuck together, they stuck right? Out. Yeah, yeah. And other than, you know, other than this one guy who maybe caused some problems, <laughs> the rest of them stuck together. Yeah. And there was tension after Jesus' yeah. resurrection and ascension. But again, they, you, you, know, you don't get a sense that there was ever a complete fracturing of those, yeah. right? They stayed together through it. Yep. Yeah. yeah. They argued it out. Okay. With that said, uh, Mike, would you pray for us? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks so much, Josh, for hosting us here. Great and having you, man. And Denise, thanks for coming back. Yeah, and thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for anybody who's listening out there. Again, if we said anything that offended you today... Um, just come talk to us about it. We'd be happy to talk to you. Happy to talk yeah. to you about it. Let's pray. Um, yeah, Father, you sent your son, Jesus, to be the savior of the world. And you placed him as head of the church and gave him all authority on heaven and on earth. And you placed him over every power and authority. You triumphed over them by the cross. These truths, God, are so great. Um, I pray that you would help us uh, here in this room and anybody who's listening, um, that those truths would sink deeper into our hearts and our souls and our minds, that we would learn to trust in your son, Jesus, more and more, um, regardless of what's happening in our society, in our worlds, or even in our personal lives. I pray for those who are feeling hurt and anguish or anxiety and fear uh, right now as a result of anything that's happening in their lives or just the state of our society. And I pray that you would enter into those places in their hearts and in their minds and that you would reveal yourself to them, show them how good you are and how trustworthy you are and how much you ultimately are in control and that we can trust that the outcome that you are going to bring about will come about, that your kingdom will be fulfilled, um, and that we don't know exactly what that's going to look like or even what we will be like. But when you, Jesus, are revealed, then we too will be revealed as well. We look to you and we love you. Amen. All right, listeners, we are looking forward to this weekend with Denise preaching. What's the question again? The question this weekend, it's our last one, is how can a loving God send people to hell? 
All right. Could so. you please say H E double hockey sticks? I don't I don't like the word hell. Forgive me. <laughs> All right. Take so, it up with Jesus. So next week we get to talk about hell. All right. Yeah, <laughs> this will be a fun one. Yeah. <laughs> Looking forward to uh, catching up with you all next week. Take care. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to New Hope's Cutting Room Floor Podcast. And don't forget to follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Check out newhopepdx.org to get to know us more.